Good morning. Um, I am the strange man that prayed for you that none of you know. Uh, and worship. My name is Jeremy Morris. I am the youth pastor at Stonebridge Church uh, in Marietta, uh, one of our one of your partner churches in the network. Uh, it's kind of become a an annual thing. I get to come out. Sometimes Steve waits longer depending on how offensive I was the last time I was here. So I'm excited about being back. I always love to come here. And um, y'all have actually helped me a lot in how I preach at Stonebridge. So one of the things, I love this table. I didn't have one of these before. And one of the things that the, we have a lady that watches us speak. She's, we don't hire her. She just likes to, she teaches people how to do public speaking. And she comes back, she'll send me an email after I speak. And she's like, here's the thing you got to work on. It feels like a tennis match when you're speaking because you move so much. And so everybody's like, the whole time. And so this table, I'm going to go from here to here today, I hope, and try not to walk off the stage. I think I almost fell a couple of years ago here. So this is, this is good. I enjoy this. I started using it at our church. I also want to say happy Father's Day. Uh, I'm a dad of four. Uh, we have, I don't know if y'all, y'all have, we have these two kind of traditions on Mother's Day and Father's Day. My wife, she loves to be recognized on Mother's Day. And I don't care anything about Father's Day, so we have this kind of dynamic going. But she has a plan. Mother's Day, all she ever asked me for, anytime, she said, just take the boys. I have four sons. Take the boys. They're 12. No, sorry. They're 14, 12, 10, and 9. So we're right in the middle of the craziness. Um, She said, just take the boys. Y'all go do something. Let me stay at home. I can watch HGTV. I can watch Hallmark Channel. I don't have sports on all the time. Just give me the day home alone. It's like, easy. We got it. And then Father's Day comes up and she goes, hey, listen, I've planned this day for you and the boys. Y'all go do this thing. I'll stay here and suffer. You go take care of them and y'all have some fun. And so it really is this double gift that she gets on Father's Day of me taking care of the boys and her getting to, uh, getting to just kind of stay at home and do her thing. But it's good. Uh, they're crazy. We have a lot of fun with them. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Um, this morning I dropped my oldest off at a baseball game at Woodstock High School and then just came on over here. So we got a lot going on. Uh, but again, it's got, good to be here this morning. If you're going to read with us, we're going to look at Psalm 23. And you're thinking, what are we doing with Psalm 23? Um, I've been reading this book. It's called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. It's written in the 70s, I think, 80s, I don't know, some, a while ago. Uh, it's not a real deep theological book. It is a devotional book that can walk through some things. And so we'll end up with two outcomes, one of two outcomes today when we finish. And one is that you will know what it is to be a shepherd and a father and follow Jesus, or you'll know more about sheep than you've ever wanted to know. And so uh, that's where we'll go. Uh, but again, I'm going to pray for us before we get started this morning, and then, uh, and then we'll dive into Psalm 23. Jesus, we do thank you that you are a good shepherd, uh, that, you are the, that you're the only way, that you're the truth, the life, and the way. And we, we just thank you that you've shown us, that you've walked it out in front of us, both in the flesh, and you lead us with the Spirit, God. And so we're just thankful for you as a good father and as a good shepherd. And we pray, Lord, that uh, today we draw closer into your presence. We learn to follow you deeper we learn to rely on you more, that we wouldn't trust in our own abilities anymore, that we, would, that we would be like sheep and we would follow our shepherd because we know his voice. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. So you can flip over to Psalm 23 this morning. And 
What this book looks at and what the psalm is, is it takes us on a year in the life of a shepherd. Now, I don't know anything about being a shepherd. I don't know anything about it. And I, I'm reading this book, and I'm amazed at how much modern shepherding, which I didn't even know there still were some, but there are. I, I was amazed at how similar modern shepherding looks like ancient shepherding. It's very similar process. It's, it's mechanized for sure. But it's a very similar process to the year that shepherds have to constantly move their flocks and take them through places. They have to look for spots where their sheep will thrive. And a lot of times these shepherds have to go out before them and stay long periods of time in these places just to make sure that their sheep are going to be safe and, again, mainly thrive. And so as we're reading through the psalm, we're going to read the first half. But as we're reading through the psalm, just think of this in your mind, kind of create this mental picture of a shepherd leading sheep out into a place where they're going to, to, to be most protected. Because one of the things you, we, we got to know from the start, sheep are dumb, right? And it's, I don't know, we're compared most to them in the Bible, so I don't know what that says about us. But this is what it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the thesis statement of this entire psalm is the very first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. And after that, each point after that is this bullet point of what a good shepherd does until the very end where there's a conclusion of what it looks like. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But I want you to see this as this projection. God as a good shepherd is fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. Jesus is the personification of this psalm. He leads us by still waters and his rod and his staff, they go before us. See, Jesus is going to be that that moment in time where God puts on flesh and he says, I'm going to walk this out in front of you so that when you can trust me when you're walking through these same places. He takes on flesh for a number of reasons, but one of those is he's going to show us that he, he does it. He can do it and he shows us this perfect way of doing it. Jesus experienced more hardship than we could ever imagine. I start thinking about it sometimes. I'm in my pity parties, and I'll start thinking, well, Jesus, was, Jesus lost his earthly father at a young age. He is rejected in his hometown. He's kicked out. He's, he, he's, he's disrespected. He lives as a homeless, wandering man, not knowing where food's going to come from. He's tempted by the enemy constantly. He's taken out into harsh places. He's pursued by religious authorities. He's pursued by political authorities. His best friend, one of his best friends, Lazarus, is going to die. He experiences the grief. He wept, right? And he raises him from the dead. His best friends betray him and run away from him and leave him all alone. And then he gets lied about, spit on, beaten, crucified, and dies a humiliating death. And then is raised from the dead. And we look at Jesus and we say, oh, man, that's a lot. But he walks it through, and so because he walked it through in a perfect way, there's another reason why I can trust him. He's put himself in our shoes and our flesh and done it perfectly. 
Now, there's a spir- that spiritual component of following him is there too, but there's also a parenting component that exists in this as well. Sometimes with our children, especially dads, we've got to put ourselves in our kids' shoes for a minute. I know one of the things that's hard for me, I've got one of my boys, everything is a huge deal. It doesn't matter what it is. It's like the world is ending, and I immediately get dismissive and, like, get over it. But sometimes I've got to put myself in his shoes because it actually is a big deal to him. I've got to step into that place. My four boys, you cannot get any different young men. My 14-year-old son is a very good athlete. He's a very good student. He, he's an artist. I don't know where that came from. He can draw. He can paint. And he looks for hard things. He tries to find. If there's a challenge out there, he seeks it out to see if he can accomplish it. And my, my job as a dad is maybe sometimes saying, hey, maybe just don't take everything head on here. Maybe don't take everything. I've walked this road before. You're very similar to me. Maybe we don't have to go after every single challenge. Maybe we can avoid some of those on occasion. And then my middle two boys, they don't like challenge. It's like they don't want a challenge. They got a, I got one that's, if I can get him just to do homework, that's the challenge. My oldest, straight A's. No, I don't have to do anything. He's motivated. My middle two, I'm just hoping they graduate. Like, like for real. It's like sixth grade was a tough year for us this year. I'm just hoping that they'll graduate. They play sports. They don't care. They don't care. They, if I show up to the game, they don't care about that. If they strike out three times, they don't care about that. It doesn't matter. They're, they're easy to deal with. It's because they just don't care. But sometimes that challenge in me makes me want to get, hey, you've got to, things to accomplish here. You've got to go. You've got to get after it. You've got to go harder. I used to be a high school basketball coach, by the way. So that's part of it in me. And so you just constantly and over and over again telling them you've got to meet these challenges. And they look at me and go, Dad, I don't care. And i got to realize sometimes it's okay not to care. i got to put myself in their shoes. Things that are important to me are not always important to them. And then we come to my youngest. I'll say his name so in case he pops up on the news you'll know who it is. His name is Declan. I like the dad bod thing because my youngest this morning looked at me and said, Dad, I thought you said you're not going to be as fat this year for, for Father's Day. <laughs> so I'm going back. It's a father figure. That's what we're going to do. He's intense. He's borderline crazy. He is, he's, he's huge. He's all of these things, and he, he wants to win at everything, but not the way my oldest does. He'll cheat. Uh, <laughs> He'll hurt somebody. He'll do anything to win. He'll cheat at school. He's, a, he's nine years old, and I caught him on that chat, GBT, writing a paper. Of what? Like, the teacher knows you didn't write this. You can't spell. I love him to death, and he's great. But he looks at challenges as a way to see how he can Break something, break a rule to accomplish it. He's not going to take it on head on. He's going to find a way around it. And i got to learn as a dad to not react the same way every time. My youngest, I can yell at him. He goes harder. My, or my oldest. My, my youngest, I can yell at him, and I'm nervous when I go to bed at night. Uh, 
I've got to learn. I've got to put myself in their shoes, and I have to be able to relate to each one of them. I think that's part of the reason, definitely not the reason, and it's probably just a minor one, but I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus puts on flesh. I think that's one of the reasons why he comes is because he's not coming down and say, live this way because I say so from heaven. He's saying, live this way because I'm here, I did it, and I'm going in front of you. Shepherds today, four-wheelers. They get behind the herd and they move the shepherds around. Shepherds in the ancient times led from the front. Follow me on this path. That's why they needed a rod and a staff to comfort because it warded off all the enemies. All the predators, they sought out still water. Can't take them to a river. Sheep will jump in and drown. You've got to take them someplace where the water is quiet so they can drink and they can be safe. Jesus walked through all of the challenges, every challenge we can possibly think through. He walked through it in a path, and he took us at his pace. This I still say valley of the shadow of death because it's you know, my Baptist upbringing and you got to say that. He takes us through these places that are hard and that are dark and he leads us at a pace that is the most healthy because it's how he did it. Some of y'all may be like me. Whenever I'm in a hard time, it's like I got to power through. That's my oldest son. Like, I'm going through tough things. I put my head down, and I just go at it. I'm like, whatever walls are in the way, we're not going around or we're going over. We're going through, and we're going to continually go harder and harder and harder, honestly, to the point where we outrun the Lord in some places. We get ahead of him. One of the things that happened to me in 2012, my wife and I left here. I was, a, I was a teacher at Lasseter High School, felt the Lord calling me back to my hometown in western Kentucky, a really small town that's just overwhelmed with meth addiction. And so my wife and I, we prayed about it. We felt like the Lord was calling us to go to the schools there and set up this nonprofit that we called the Nehemiah Project, and we're going to help all of these people get, as they come out of prison, because 60% of the kids lived with a grandparent or one of their parents because the other one was in prison for meth-related charges it's terrible so we came up lord said go to kentucky very clearly for the two of us we knew she grew up in east cobb it wasn't an easy move for her but we went back home population 150 and we started on this project we kept moving we kept going we've set up we got a building we got we, we we hired some counselors we had all the stuff ready to go we had no clients we had no people, and then we started bouncing around to all the churches in this small county in western Kentucky. All of the churches. There's 20, just, just counting Baptist churches, there's 28 of them. We went to each one. Hey, this is what we're here for. And every time, walls. Every time, you're trying to steal our people. Every time, you're, trying to, you're, trying to, you're from that big church over there. So you're, you're trying to take our people, to, you're, you're trying to put us out. Over wall after wall after wall till the Nehemiah, before it ever started, it wasn't even a thing. We tried for two years, never got it going. While we were there, I worked at the church and the school and learned how to lead a small group ministry and moved back to Marietta, taught one year and then took the small groups pastor job at Stonebridge Church back in 2016. 
I had in my mind, the reason I'm going is to do this other thing. And I outran the Lord in it. I powered through this shadow. And what God was doing, he was training me and forming me to become a pastor. I missed it on the, initially. It's looking back that I found that I outran the Lord in this. He wasn't calling me to start a ministry for meth addicts. I have had no experience with this. I'm not a drug counselor. I'm not, I'm not a counselor, period. I'm a, I was a history teacher with a theology degree. I wasn't qualified, but I had this. And, there was, and now, just so you know, the Nehemiah Project is up and running great with a local person there. And they're doing great things. God had a plan. It just wasn't for me. But instead of following the shepherd, what I did was I went on past him. I got the word to go, and then I decided what I would do. And so we took off. The other default in this place is to sit and wallow. Right? There are those of us who power through, and there are those of us who get stuck in the dark valley. And Jesus is telling us, keep pace, keep up. But yet we get stuck in there and we're wallowing in this place and we can't find them because we've stopped moving. And we miss him. As he's continuing, continuing to lead us through this valley, we decide, we, got, we try our own paths and our own ways in this stuff. We try to create ways to change. If it's behavior, we, kind of create, we try to create ways to change it. Any of y'all New Year's resolution people? Anybody? I am not anymore because I never kept them. The behavior modification things, they don't work. Heart change works. Right? And when our heart is bent towards Jesus, we follow him through these valleys and these rough periods, and we'll look up and we've been transformed and we've been changed. It's not about what new thing we put on our phone to prevent us from looking at specific things on an app. We keep in step with him. We continue to follow him because he, his rod goes before us. He comforts us as we move through these places. He's already done it. Let's follow his example. He continues on in Psalm, 20, uh, Psalm 23. This is verse 5 and 6. My favorite two of this whole thing. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I used to look at this part. Prepare a table in the presence of my enemies as, a, uh, as one of those guys that kind of powers through. I thought this was God taunting the enemy. Right? I was like, look, we're having dinner. You can't come. You can't hurt us. You can't touch us. You can't do anything with us. It felt like I got this overt trash talking by the Lord right here. But really, as I read this book, I learned that shepherds, they always go and scout out the fields that they're going to move their sheep to. They'll go weeks and months ahead of time before the sheep. And the first thing they start looking for are poisonous weeds in, the, in these pastures. They know, the, they know where all the poisonous weeds are, and they go and they get on their hands and knees and they pull every single one of them out. Because sheep are dumb. And they stay there for weeks and months, clearing this field, clearing these pastures of that. They also look for holes. Sheep will just fall in holes, and you can get them out, they'll fall back in. 
Ginger was texting me this week, wanting to know if I had any slides. I, had a, I got lost on a video for probably 30 minutes watching the sheep just fall back into a hole. Over, I was like, I'm going to play that on Sunday morning. I was like, ah, it's not a youth service. I better not. <laughs> it was hilarious. You know, don't look it up. You'll get lost. It'll waste an hour of your day. It just kept falling in the hole. Oh, like lift it up, put it out. The guy would climb out, sheep go back in. So shepherds have to find these holes. They fill them up so that the sheep won't fall into it. They build barriers around them so the sheep won't just continue. And if, here's the crazy thing. If one goes in, they all go in. And so they've got to do that. They've got to prepare this field. First, the weeds. Second, the holes. And third, they get to places where they can find predators. They look for spots where predators might hide, where predators might attack, where predators might come at their sheep. And they prepare this entire field in the sight of these predators. It's another aspect of Jesus putting on the flesh. He's prepared a way for us to be to the Father, to be with the Father. He's gone before us. He's preparing a meal. He's removing all the things, all the pitfalls. And he does it in the most costly of ways. I think about the weeks and the months of a shepherd on hands and knees pulling out weeds and filling in. The way Jesus prepared for us, his path was much harder. I started thinking about, I don't know if I ever consider the cost of my own salvation. When I think about it, we, we quickly move past Good Friday and Easter season because we want to get to Sunday. Sunday's a much happier story than Good Friday is. Sunday is a much better story. It makes me feel good on Sunday. On Friday, if I stay there, I'll get a little bit upset about things. But I wonder if we ever really understand how much it costs God. It doesn't just cost Him the cross. You have to think about it. It cost Him heaven first. He left and came here. Jesus is with God in the beginning. He gave up heaven to come here for us to put on our flesh, to be a baby, to be an adolescent, to be a young adult, to being a leader and all the things we mentioned earlier about what it was that he had to endure. And he went to the cross for us. And he gave us a constant reminder. These communion tables up here. My tradition that I grew up in, and in the first seminary that I attended, one of the things they taught us about communion is it was only symbolic. It's a symbol of Jesus' death and his resurrection, and I bought into that completely for a long time. But recently, I've had to admit to myself that there's some mystery in this communion. It's more than just a symbol. I can't, I'm not going to tell you what it is because I'll be honest with you, I don't know. But there is something about the presence of the Lord when taking communion that reminds me of how much it cost him to prepare this table for me. And when I think about a preparation table, a, a meal to take in the presence of my enemies, this is the only one that really counts. Because what it does is a constant reminder of that sacrifice, but it's also a physical, tangible way to step into the presence of the Lord. I listen to podcasts all the time, and one of my favorite is Remnant Radio. I don't know if you've ever heard of that podcast before. But they do this interview with Francis Chan 
on communion. And he says that one of the biggest mistakes we've made in the church is we've, we've moved the pastor to the center of the room and we've moved the communion tables to the edges. See, the table that he prepares for us is right in front of us. It's costly. It costs him everything. And it's a reminder of that. I encourage you to take communion as often as it's available to you. Step into that place because of the presence of the Lord. The second thing it says in this passage, it says, You anoint my head with oil. Again, I thought this is King David writing this psalm. I thought it was about Samuel anointing him. But what I come to realize is that shepherds anoint sheep. Sheep get all kind of pests all the time. They do. And one of them is called a nose fly. Again, I had a video. We're not going to watch it. But sheep will get these flies up in their nose, and it drives them crazy. They'll, go to, they'll start ramming their head against trees over and over again until they can get rid of these flies. I like, like They'll even die trying to get rid of the flies. And so the shepherd takes olive oil and sulfur and other spices and anoints the entire head of the sheep and up the nose, and it keeps these nose flies from pestering them, from bothering them. It's this protective measure that's put into place so that the sheep, again, can thrive. I believe for us, the connection point is the the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When we're anointed by the Holy Spirit, pests flee from us. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, right? But this daily anointing has become something like a tank for many of us. Here's the problem with with thinking about the filling of the Holy Spirit as a tank. Tanks go empty. When you're constantly pouring out and you're thinking of this filling of the Spirit like a tank, you will get tired, you will get exhausted, you will be empty at some point. But if we change our mentality about anointing to the way we breathe, every breath we breathe in is breathing in of the Holy Spirit. Every breath that we breathe out is is, is giving that away. Then we're constantly being filled. We're continually breathing. And it's a daily, minute-by-minute acceptance of the Spirit, not a one-time thing that we're living off of 20 years ago. The relational aspect of being led by the Good Shepherd, being led by a Good Father, is to continually and constantly be in relationship. We can't check in on some days and check out on other days. We can't check in when we're, we're dialed in on Sunday morning and check out when we're on vacation. It, it happened when I first started working as a pastor. One of the things that I did Sunday through Thursday, I was dialed in. I was praying. I was worshiping. Friday and Saturday, I'm off. And I took Friday and Saturday off from the Lord because I did it Monday, Sunday through Thursday. Huge mistake. And it took a couple of years and a realization of like what was going on on those days to realize that, hey, this is not, this is not a job. You don't have off days. Our relationship with Jesus isn't a job. There isn't time off. When we're continually anointed by the Holy Spirit, then surely goodness and love will follow us throughout our days, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's two responses to this message this morning. There's this personal response. I think personally, I don't know about y'all, I don't like to be led by anybody. I feel like a lot of times I'm really capable, 
and my pride gets in the way and I can accomplish things and I can do hard things and my reliance on the Lord is sometimes missing because I'm like, I got this, God. You take care of this important stuff, right? Don't worry about my finances. I've got that under control. I took Dave Ramsey. You take care of the spiritual things. Don't worry about my children. I'm a pretty good dad. Don't worry about my wife. I'm following you. She can catch up. See, this self-reliance that exists in our culture doesn't, doesn't give us this, this dependent nature to follow a shepherd or a good father. We feel like, as Americans, we can do everything on our own, and we can probably do it better than everybody else. And what God is telling us personally is surrender yourself to me and follow me. He's done it. He's already there. He's done all the things that are necessary. And so practically what that looks like, I don't know. I can tell you what works for me. I struggle with prayer. I love to read my Bible. I love it. I'll read it all the time. I'm constantly taking different classes. My wife gets angry. I'm, I'm back at Asbury again for another degree. She's like, what are you, what are you doing? I love it. I can get in the Word. I can read it. I can memorize it. I love being in that. I, I, I kind of like worship music, kind of. I struggle there. But where I really struggle is prayer. Being still and being quiet is hard, as you can tell. It's hard for me. And so because it's hard for me and I like to do hard things, I force myself to pray. And ask, Lord, remind me of the cost it is to be in your presence. Remind me of what you've done for me. Remind me of your character. Remind me of who you are. And over the years, prayer has become something. I still don't love doing it. But it's become something that's necessary for me. If prayer is easy for you, maybe getting into the word isn't. We have to get this in us. You want to recognize the voice of the Lord? He tells you. He reads read it. You want to hear how he talks? I talk to my students all the time. They're like, I don't hear God's voice. Read his Bible, read the Bible. Then you'll know the tone. And you'll know the things that don't belong to you. And that's him. Especially all the things that are better than you. That's him. But we have to get the word in us and, and there and the word is under attack, right? I can't tell you how many people I meet. So I'm, I'm kind of a, a like if you're looking at giftings in, in Ephesians, I'm an evangelist. I like to be out talking to people on the street. I like to share the gospel with people. I love, no offense, I love people outside the church more than I love people inside the church. But stepping into that place and hearing God's voice, you have to have this in you. And people will tell me all the time, oh, I believe in Jesus. I, don't believe, I just don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe that Bible is relevant anymore. That's craziness. There's this guy, Shane Pruitt is his name. Some of y'all may know him. He wrote the, about people who say that. He wrote this. He said, I lost my quote here. He says, what you say 
when you don't believe the Bible is that I've created a Jesus I'm comfortable with because I created him with my own opinions, biases, and preferences. You see, that's a, fault, that's a fake Jesus. Anything we know about the real Jesus comes from scriptures. We have to get in the word. We have to pray. We have to worship. This is all church speak that everybody's already heard before. And you're like, there's another pastor telling me to find time in my day to pray, worship, and read. There's other ways to encounter him. But those three things are important. Fasting, service is a great way. We've got one camp going coming up soon. I became a Christian in November of 2004. I worked at one camp in July of 2005, and it was like taking my faith, putting it in a pressure cooker, and <laughs> I was not ready to be a counselor in 2005. I can tell you that. But God completely wrecked me that week. So another way that we can, we can experience God is to serve and to be little shepherds. And I think that's the second response to this passage. There's a collective response. We have to start taking responsibility as believers to nurture those who are coming into the church and those who are new to the faith and our students and our children. One of those diseases that, that sheep get is this thing called scab. Gross picture. Don't look it up. But they'll get this disease on their head and they're community-oriented beasts. And so they rub their heads against each other and it spreads to the whole thing. And so the shepherds, again, anoint them with oil so it doesn't spread. And every time they purchase a new sheep from somebody, they anoint that sheep with this oil so it doesn't bring any of the past into the flock. Y'all can make that connection yourself. Continually anointing them. And we have to do that with our students all the time. We recently did... Uh, high school Bible study. We do it on Wednesday nights at our church. And we did TikTok theology. I'm not a social media person. I've never been, I have been on TikTok now. I regret it. But our kids, our students are spending, an average teenager spends 40 hours a week on TikTok. 40. No wonder their grades aren't good. No wonder they're not sleeping at night. No wonder they're anxious. No wonder they're depressed. 40 hours a week. And that's, that's the, the, even the ones that are pursuing Jesus in this place, they're going to TikTok to learn who Jesus is. And there's some crazy people on TikTok talking about Jesus. There's this one guy, I'm going to name him because I don't like him. His name is Pastor Brendan. Brendan, I don't know. Um, but he gets up he, it's, he gives just enough truth he calls himself he starts it off all the time as a biblical scholar I don't know any biblical scholars that, late, that start their conversations with people I'm a biblical scholar that just seems arrogant to me but he starts it off as a biblical scholar this is actually what the passage says and I'll listen to him and there's just enough truth in it to hook him the one that I watched, the last one that we did was about the, the, the Samaritan woman coming to Jesus asking for food. And he says, no, this is for the children of, children of Israel. And she says, don't the dogs deserve the scraps? And he gives it to her. Y'all know that story, right? And Pastor Brendan says, this is Jesus recognizing his own racism and repenting of it and showing us a model of repentance for racism. Wow. 
I don't know. Racism, a sin. It's bad. It's gross. It's evil. Jesus racist? No. Just enough truth to link them in. There's, there's way, I picked the mild ones because I didn't want to get into all the stuff this morning. But he's manipulating the scriptures to prove a cultural point because our kids today, are, they're being taught to see scripture through a cultural lens instead of see culture through a biblical lens. The collective response for us is to serve. You've got students here that need to be discipled into the Word, like we all do. And your staff can't do it by themselves. They can't. They need you who are walking it out, who are following Jesus, to step up and to step forward, to be little shepherds, to be little fathers. I learned in Africa a few years ago, every son needs seven fathers. Some point, Dad, your sons and your daughters will not listen to you anymore. But surround them with men and women who they respect, who they will listen to, who will speak the truth that you love into their lives, and you're providing little shepherds following the great shepherd, the big shepherd, the good father. Our kids are under attack. Our students, I, I can't tell you how many times we meet with kids who are saying, well, I learned this online, and then I started this. They're hurting themselves. And they don't know the truth because they're looking for truth in wrong places. We have to have men and women who love Jesus, who are following him, to, again, to step up and to step forward to love on our students and our children. We have a youth staff of four at Stonebridge, and we can't do it ourselves. We have to rely on the 50 and 60 volunteers that we have every week that come in, who lead small groups, who take our kids to lunch, who take our kids to dinner, who will go to their sporting events, their plays. I had to go to Lion King at one point. I'm not a, it comes a shock, not a theater guy. Um, But when you're investing in them and you're pouring into them and you're pointing them towards Jesus, what we see is transformation. We have a collective responsibility to sacrifice and serve. And I'll be honest with you, my years as a youth ministry volunteer, there wasn't much sacrifice involved in it. They gave me way more than I was able to give them. I learned from them way more than what I was able to teach them. We, and it's not just our students and our children, it's also the new believers. We have to pursue, we have to give away what God has given us. We give it away and we show people the grace, the mercy, and love of Jesus. And as they come into this room, we disciple them. We lead them. As we follow Jesus, they follow us, and we start pointing to the good shepherd, to the good father. We're not a perfect representation of a shepherd or a father, but he is, and he showed us a way, and so we have to step into that place of following him. This morning, I want to close with this before we go into to ministry time. Let's kind of wrap this thing up. Jesus is our good shepherd. He's our good father. As we're pursuing him, we lead other people. 
whether it's your children in your home, whether it's the children you work with at a school that you teach, or whether it's new believers, or whether it's your adult children who have wandered away from the Lord, your pursuit and following of Jesus serves as an example of what it is to surrender and submit. And so I just want to encourage you this morning. Communion is a big deal to me. And y'all have the opportunity. It's awesome. Y'all have the opportunity every week to take it. I want to encourage you this morning. Step into this place of God's presence in communion. Step into this place of acknowledging that there's something more than just a symbol here. It represents what he cost, and it's symbolic of that meal for sure, but there's more to it. So I want to encourage you this morning to take communion. I also want to encourage you to come forward for prayer with our ministry teams because the collective to intercede on the behalf of others is what it looks like to be a little shepherd leading other sheep. It's an opportunity to let someone intercede on your behalf, to stand in the gap for you, to go to the Lord and to come together as a group, to be communal like sheep. We're called it all the time. Let's do it together instead of trying to power through these valleys. Allow someone to pray for you, to pull you through. If you're one of those that gets stuck in the middle, allow someone to pray for you to help pull you through, to keep you moving, to restart the process. But don't miss an opportunity to encounter Jesus today. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I'm going to lead us in this song. And the ministry teams, if you'll come forward. I think that's how this goes. I'm not, we're making it up as we go now. I'm going to pray for us. And then y'all respond as God leads you. God, we thank you that you're a good father. We thank you that you show us the way. We thank you that you point us in the direction that you've already walked and that you're leading us step by step. And we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be in step with your spirit. We pray, Lord, that we'll continually follow you and pursue you. We pray this morning that as we take communion, you will reveal something new to us about who you are. There's something new about what communion is. You'll show us your presence in the midst of it. You'll show us the path and the way that you've walked, God. We pray, Lord, that we will submit to you and allow you to prepare this table in front of us. We'll recognize the cost of it. We'll recognize what it cost you, Lord. We say thank you for that. So Jesus, we just ask that you would you would search us and find any offensive thing in us this morning. That we could come and pray and confess. That we could come and pray to get moving. We could come and pray to, to slow down, God. Come and speak to us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.